Hello world. It is Wednesday, April 14th. My name is Colin. I'm here with my co-host, Kenny. This is Hacker News TLDR. Kenny, what's on Hacker News? Well, there's some discussion about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which has uh, mm-hmm. recommended that the, uh, the CDC has recommended that there's been a pause on that, which doesn't seem like uh, great news after a long string of really good vaccine news. It seems like both, both bad news and maybe a bad idea. It's literally it like one a, in a million, yeah. six cases of this blood clotting problem out of six million doses uh, distributed of the Johnson & Johnson. So, I, you know, I'm curious, like, I really don't understand the calculus here at all. Yeah, it uh, does not seem to make a lot of sense. And lots of people, especially the stati- statisticians, uh, seem to be complaining really strongly about this. And I, I agree. It uh, seems like a really bad idea for uh, for the baseline of the chances of that happening, one in a million, and for the um, like just faith in vaccines in general. I feel like this is going to add a lot of skepticism. Yeah, which I guess it was bound... Something like this was basically inevitable, uh, but someone on in the HN comments put together or you know made a uh, put some statistics together, which is basically, you know, obviously you can't depend too much on the statistics for this clotting issue since the n of it's an n of six, um, but yeah, I mean, basically he said you know yesterday, like, co- you know, eight thousand eight hundred people died from COVID and. Uh, you know, if we just assume the one in, in a million probability that we're kind of seeing so far for the you know clotting issue, then uh, if everybody in the whole world received that vaccine tomorrow, uh, then you know six about seven thousand people would potentially die from the clotting thing, um, which yeah is less than the number of people that died from COVID yesterday. So I don't know, it's a lesser of two evils thing. Um, I, I'm curious if more pushback is going to be coalescing on the internet to this decision, um, you know, over the course of today, especially since it is the one that is the single, the single jab as well, which is, you know, the reason why at least I was planning to try to prioritize to get that one. Right. Yeah. That, uh, the Europe did this for the AstraZeneca one, like a few weeks ago, they kind of had this whole same exact scandal and, uh, just, does not seem like a smart, like, world's health way to do it. And I don't know why. It's weird that they haven't clarified or explained more about that decision. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre. Exactly based on those numbers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think I'm probably going to drive to a different state this weekend to get the vaccine. I'm in Massachusetts, which I am now realizing is one of the slowest states for vaccine rollout. Uh of any country or not of any country, but of any state in the U S uh, you can literally like go get an appointment at a Walmart or a CVS in 48 States and Massachusetts is not one of those 48 <laughs> as we were talking about off mic. So pretty ridiculous, upsetting. pretty upsetting. Don't know what Massachusetts is doing here. Uh, what else? I liked this article called marbles. <laughs> Really, I should have uh, held off on this one since it's really scraping the bottom of the barrel right out of the gate. Uh, is it about marbles? It's it's nominally about marbles, but really it's about the end of civilization as we know it. <laughs> I see how they're related. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, he's talking about how, you know, 
A, he believes that civilization will probably not survive more than a few centuries into the future. He means civilization as like the kind of just complex, technologically advanced thing that we're experiencing today. He thinks Homo sapiens will be around for a long time. Uh, but just, you know, it'll be, there's going to be some big fall or regression uh, in society, societal complexity, I guess. Uh, but, you know, he's basically saying uh, what's interesting is one of the artifacts of our civilization that will last the longest amount of time uh, of anything is uh, just marbles. Because, you know, and then he kind of explains why, you know, chemically and physically, which is just that <laughs> silicon dioxide is one of the most stable compounds known to man, known to man. Uh, and he, you know, explains a little bit about its like physical resilience properties. Uh, he also explains why beaches are made of sand and sand is silicon dioxide. Uh, basically saying that, like, you know, things get kind of harder to break up as they get smaller. It's kind of intuitive. If you like have a long stick, it's easy to break. But as it gets shorter, it gets harder to, you know, uh, break in your hands. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically every other type of rock or sediment or anything just gets broken down to the point of like powders that can just kind of, you know, uh, be suspended in, in water. Uh, but, you know, silicon dioxide is tough enough that like once it gets down to the size of sand particles, no matter how long it like gets smashed by waves or tumbles through rivers or whatever it basically just isn't possible to break it down anymore um you know at least not not you know not just based on standard erosion forces in nature and uh huh. yeah it was it was uh and then he wraps up by saying that he you know uh every so often digs a two foot deep hole and puts a marble into it uh because that's one of the the things you can do that you know will last the longest uh in in the world in the physical world where like that could potentially be dug up by somebody thousands of years from now um or rather it'll probably all the dirt will erode away and the marble will you know make it into a river or something and, yeah i was uh, gonna say what's i don't understand the i this all sounds very interesting and i am on board so far but i don't understand the digging of the hole that seems like a huge waste of time uh, instead of just throwing it into the grass or something, yeah, yeah, he, he really doesn't justify this. Uh, <laughs> you you make some very good points. Uh, I think hmm, it looks like he that kind of like delays its. It'll basically hang out in the hole for like a few tens of thousands of years. He says he digs it like two or three feet deep, and then and then it'll hopefully resurface like around the time you know. Uh, uh, you know well after the time where civilization has fallen which i guess wow. is his goal is to put some artifact in a place where it will be found by some member of you know post-fall civilization <laughs> this it was, uh, uh, it was something that's, that's really that's really something it's hard uh -huh. to imagine the fall of civilization and yet the, the people who emerge can't find marbles but anyways, I wish I, I wish this guy well. I hope I hope he has fun digging digging holes and putting marbles in them. He certainly seems to be, <laughs> and writing blog posts about it. There was another article about a person who's trying to get a, a tech job who had been in the startup world for a while and had had like a few failed startups. And it's called "My Startup Failed." Then I found I was unemployable. Talk about 
just a slam dunk title. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good. no way to lose. Uh, and then I read it and it was like kind of sad to read because it seems like he was like, had not had fun in a long time doing whatever he was doing work-wise. Like he did a startup, it didn't work. Then he did some contracting work. Then he tried to launch a game and then launched the game, but the game failed and all of this, all the stuff was kind of sad, but then uh, it came together and then he like interviewed at like 40 places and got all kinds of rejections because he didn't have kind of the standard uh, standard path. And then at the end, he now has figured out a way to become a digital nomad and work like two and a half days a week on machine learning and web projects. And he's rebuilt his savings and says, every aspect of my life is a million times better than when I lived in SF. <laughs> <laughs> the things I miss the most are In-N-Out and Mexican food. Yep. Uh, so it really, it was really a tough read until I got there. And then it really, he's really, he's living it up now. A rare hacker news story with a happy ending. I, I enjoyed this as well. I, I definitely think there's not there's a few things that have drifted across hn but like there's not enough like detailed posts that kind of like try to explain you know like what it's like to be bad at being a digital nomad i have a lot of experience in this area or like you know bad at being an indie hacker uh where like you you have all these little projects and they kind of bleed into each other and nothing really hits and uh i don't know i i thought it was this was like kind of a pretty compelling description of what it's like to, you know, keep tumbling into new projects kind of by like half by accident um, and then getting sucked mm. in them and, you know, feeling obliged to finish them. Uh, even, you know, even though it's just stressing you out and you like are against the ticking clock of diminishing savings, as he puts it, which I think is uh, I think it was satisfying to, to read an experience like this. And the fact that it ends happily is even better. Um, but yeah, in the middle, it kind of was another HN bait kind of thing, which is complaining about the technical interview process. So uh, really, this this post was just guaranteed to get, you know, a thousand points on HN. And uh, it's not surprising <laughs> at all that it did. So love this thing. Worth reading. Yeah. Uh, another follow up on an article we talked about before, uh, which is the, you know, payments in Signal. Signal just published a blog post called Update on Beta Testing Payments in Signal, which is basically like a corrective action of them trying to retroactively address all the concerns that people brought up in their disastrous initial announcement where people just like mm. went, you know, were very upset with this for a variety of reasons that we covered in a previous episode. And uh, yeah, I mean, they basically they basically addressed most of the concerns that uh hn kind of you know put out there but maybe not in a very satisfying way uh you know people were confused about why they were you know using uh this coin called mobile coin instead of other options and they kind of high level explained that most other options don't actually meet their standards for like truly private secure uh transactions uh you know a lot of times like mm. you know i mean you know Block, blockchains are public, so a lot of times transactions uh, uh, transactions are public too, but a few coins, including mobile coin, I guess, have like additional layers of privacy on top of that, uh, where maybe the ledger is uh, is also somehow not you know fully available to everyone. 
I don't understand the details, but um, people were talking in the comments about how there's a pretty limited number of projects that meet that criteria. Uh, something that they, oh yeah, I like this. They kind of list out the uh, the critical feedback that, that they are trying to address. Number one is, I'm not a beta tester, but cryptocurrency is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a pretty good summary of uh, a lot of the comments on HN of the, in the original blog post. Right. Uh, and then the last things here are that the, the things that notably aren't mentioned is the fact that the signal like server side code for this feature is currently closed close source, which rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, they aren't really transparent about the relationship between Moxie Marlin Spike, who's the you know creator of uh, Open Whisper Systems and Signal, and was an advisor to MobileCoin. Um, they don't really explain kind of whether he stands to benefit here, though. I guess the public line is that he doesn't own any, any MobileCoin; he was just an advisor. Uh, and then they do address this, but the current currently the fees for a MobileCoin transaction are about sixty cents which is like too wow. much to pay your friend for yeah. a price of pizza. So that's like, I mean, that, that really seems like a deal, a deal breaker unless, so, you know, the mobile coin currency actually needs to, you know, figure out a solution to that. Um, but yeah, it seems like they're not tying themselves one-to-one -to, -one to mobile coin as either. They're kind of, uh, let's see, they had some phrase here. Uh, a non-custodial integration. Signal does not have access to your keys or your funds the information remains with your wallet. So it's kind of, they compare their integration to these different cryptocurrencies, which are not uh, uh, necessarily, you know, just mobile coin. They're willing to open up to other players that kind of meet some criteria of privacy. Um, and they kind of compare that integration to their integration with Jiffy uh, or Giphy, which is like, you know, <laughs> it's just like a total third party thing. And they, you know, make sure that the user experience is good enough. Uh, before mm -hmm. they'll let in the app. Uh, oh, and one final thing is that it's uh, it is an opt-in feature, so it won't affect the interface oh. or anything until you switch. Oh, the that's button, nice. Which is big. Interesting. Okay, those, those sound like they addressed uh, good points. I was expecting when you said uh, blog post on updates on the cryptocurrency story that their update would be we have decided not to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but this <laughs> this seems like a good uh, good path as well, especially the opt-in. I like the sound of that. Yes, opt-in. The fact that they didn't anticipate that concern. I mean, a few of these, it's just like, you know, unbelievably like huge oversight to not, you know, expect some of this negativity from HN and address those things up front in your launch post. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I'm glad they took a corrective action. Hopefully, you know, it might be too little too late. Not, people might dig in their heels, but I guess we'll see. Well, in a related story of crypto, there is an article in Decrypt. Uh, mentioning a report where the former acting CIA director says that Bitcoin is a boon for surveillance, <laughs> which really makes a lot of sense. And I guess the report itself was supposed to be like a pro-Bitcoin thing to try to uh, reduce people's concerns about uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> so they have a quote from this ex-CIA acting director, um, which is basically, yeah, you've got an immutable public ledger where everything is logged. So this is great for surveillance. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we're sure that this uh, 
this guy hasn't been bought out by by mobile coin and signal (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good point this feels like uh very well timed (laughs) (laughs) very convenient well i didn't read the hn comments on that boon for surveillance post but i i'm i'm pretty confident that there's going to be uh there's going to be some some teardowns of this take i don't know maybe not looks like the second Uh, comment here is uh that's why zcash dash monero at all are probably going to pop off uh so it looks like and these are some of the other options, Zcash and Dash, that were actually being considered by Signal for eventual integration. So I guess these are kind of the the real, the truly privacy-centric, totally anonymized ones. Um, but you can like use Bitcoin in a totally anonymized way. Uh, you can just like, well, create your private, only in, you know. Yeah, but only until, if they ever are able to connect the wallet to you, then they've got all of your then, transactions yeah, from forever. Over. Yeah, that's true. And I guess there's complicated projects that are able to kind of infer pa- from patterns and stuff like whose who's private or public keys belongs to who. Um, yeah. And then it's just obvious, like people just know, I think they just know the public keys for like the Winklevoss twins or people like that. Just because it's obvious right. based on holdings. Yeah, that's about, yeah, with the big wallets, yeah. Yeah. Also, there's the, on- oh, we, we talked about this on the podcast long ago in an early episode, but there's the ongoing uh you know um a thought experiment of if there was an exploit in bitcoin would we know yet and the answer is like probably possibly no like somebody could there could be exploits in it and people are waiting for to to cash out and to make money off of the exploit before there's any like public notice of it Hmm. kind of an interesting thought experiment when when would you go public with a with an exploit in in a financial transaction. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is that is interesting. I don't know. It yeah. I guess it would have to be an exploit that would let you exit, you know, execute the exploit uh in a way that wouldn't arouse suspicion. True. But like yeah. typically people like know exactly like where they're sending money to, so if all of it doesn't get to the place where they're sending it, it'll be obvious. So it would have to be some weird office space style like you skim off like one billionth of a bitcoin or whatever uh every <laughs> right. time and people just haven't noticed yet something like that but then you know it's that would have to be registered on a ledger somewhere and like people would see that like you know all of these little tiny transactions are going to your address so unless it's I, I guess there's all sorts of of different uh kinds of exploits you could like roll back transactions that have already right, been mined. exactly. Yeah. yeah, it depends on where the exploit is uh, in the system. But yeah, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure everything in Bitcoin world is fine. All totally. good actors in the Bitcoin space. Totally. I feel good about the fact that, you know, as a Tesla shareholder, that they're putting $1.5 billion into Bitcoin. I'm sure this can't go wrong. <laughs> oh boy, that's all, all we right. got time for. We will see you folks tomorrow. See you.